Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Nice to see you all again. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to turn to a particular verse just yet. Uh, just to remind you that last week we began to think about the attributes of God. If as believers we live our lives uh, where God is central, we travel with God, it's always good to know who he is. Who is this God? And of course, the attributes of God are scattered across the word of God. And we began to think about God in terms of his omnipotence, God's omnipotent power. And God's omnipotent power can be seen in various ways. We thought about the Jewish nation. When you see the Jewish nation in the land of Israel, it's a reminder of the omnipotent power of God. It's a nation that came from a womb that was barren, infertile, it was dead. God said, Abraham, Sarah, you may be old, but you're going to become the parents of a nation. Sarah laughs. But you took God's word seriously and thought, well, uh, we've got to figure out what he meant, so we'll go along the route of surrogacy. And that turned out to be a bit of a disaster. And God had to remind Abraham that God was the almighty God. And from the deadness of a womb, there comes the nation of Israel. Uh, we see it in the affairs of men. God raises up empires, lets them grow like a tree. He says uh, to Nebuchadnezzar, the God of heaven has given you a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And he allowed it to grow like a tree, but then he took a hatchet. And he cuts it down. That's the omnipotent power of God that raises up the kingdoms of the earth. And then he brings them back down again. To remind them that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the lord of all. And uh, we saw it in creation. I give you a few numbers. I wonder if you went home and... You did a bit of calculating and try and figure out how many billions of miles you've travelled as you've lived your life. Now, whenever we think about the natural world, there's a couple of wee verses. Uh, one's found in the book of Colossians, and it talks about how uh, the natural world consists by God. God, through him it consists. And the word there means to be near. And then in Hebrews, it talks about how God, he upholds the natural world. He upholds it. And the word there means to carry and to bear. So here you have this, uh, uh, he's near it, he carries it, he bears it. What's the picture that comes from that? Well, let me try and paint you a wee bit of a picture. Now, I've been coming to Bally Harbour, I don't know, 35, 40 years I was coming here before many of you were born. I remember when Drew didn't exist. 
But then he did exist. And he grew with his twin brother, and I could never tell one from the other. Uh, but eventually he gets saved, and he comes through the doors with a Bible in his hand. He carries his Bible, and his Bible is right beside him. But when he became this uh, handsome young man, it wasn't just coming through the door with a Bible in his hand. We noticed there was a girlfriend on the arm. And, and when she came in, she didn't sit over here and drew over there. They sat near each other. They sat beside each other. There was a connection. A bond was developing. A sense of ownership. This is my girlfriend. This is my boyfriend. Sitting identified beside each other. A relationship was developed. And then, of course, we, we know the big, big day and... He said, I do, and she says, so do I. And they got married, they're now cemented together, man and wife, belonging together, and they came through the doors together, Bibles and hands, together, oneness. And then a wee while back, I noticed that when Drew was coming through the door with his wife and toe and his Bible in his hand, but he was carrying something like a basket. It was actually a car seat. And he is carrying it with his strong arm, his best arm, and he was walking very carefully with it because there was something in the car seat that had to be protected and cared for. It wasn't a dozen eggs. It was a wee boy. And he didn't come and plunk the seat in the corner there and just leave it there. No, it was nearby him and his wife. And he carried it carefully with a strength. You see, you put all of that together, that's God in creation. That is God standing beside his universe, and he says, this is my universe. I made the universe. I'm responsible for it. It's mine. I own it. I carry it. It's mine. He maintains it. Um, I used to, way, way back when cars were a wee bit simpler than what they are now, I used to change the plugs and the points and lie on the knee of the looking for the nipples and the grease gun and all that kind of stuff, but cars are changed and you need the expert on it now. So the expert that looks after my car is Johnny Scott, the brother of Jason. And so I'll take my car and I'll say, Johnny, there she is. Uh, service a car, get it through the MOT, and he maintains it. He looks after it. He maintains it. He keeps it working. He keeps it functioning. Our God is the one that maintains this universe. He's the omnipotent God. Just a couple of days ago there, he gave it a wee bit of a tweak. In the middle of the Pacific Ocean, an underground explosion of volcano, a sonic boom that travelled for thousands of miles, and the ripple of the tsunami came to shore. It's just a reminder of our God's omnipotent power when he tweaks the world that he made. So God is our omnipotent God. He made the universe. It's his. He's identified with it. He cares for it. He carries it. He looks after it. And that same God is your God 
who travels with you. Now, I want you to take your Bible and uh, turn to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. But before we get there, um, I want us to think about... um, We we moved on to think about God's uh, uh, omnipresence. His omniscience, that he knows everything, and his omnipresence. Now, I do have to make you aware that whenever we talk about the omnipresence of God, as we said, that's God that is everywhere. He's in every four corners of the globe. He's out at the farthest distance of the universe. He is everywhere. And he says to Israel, And I'm with you. I'm in the cloud. And I'm in the fire. That there's a special presence for those that he loves, for those that belong to him. And God wants us to know as people, we have his manifest presence as well as as his omnipresence. He is with us every step of the way. Now here's the wee issue for us. We'll come to look in a wee moment. Uh, There's Adam and Eve in the garden. And uh, something's gone wrong. Badly wrong. So God comes into the garden and God looks around and he calls out, Adam, where art thou? And the narrative says that Adam had hid from the presence of the Lord. Hiding behind the tree. He's hiding from the presence of the Lord. And the narrative tells us that before uh, the bad thing happened, they walked in the cool of the day. But now something has come in, something has changed, and Adam is hiding And God's in the garden looking around wondering, where is Adam? And he calls out, Adam, where are you? Are we to imagine that at that moment in time, God had lost his omniscience and his omnipresence? Standing there wondering, where's Adam? Where's Eve? Where's that? So he has to call out, Adam and Eve, uh, can you come out? Where are you? Didn't know. Oh, no, no. God knew exactly where they were. And where they were, God was there as well. God was with them behind the tree. But it was a recognition that as much as God's presence was there, it was now estranged. They had gone out and hid from the presence of the Lord. As believers who have this dimension of God's presence, his manifest presence, is it possible for me as a believer to be estranged in the presence of God? Of course it is. Of course it is. A couple of nights ago, now you know my wee dog, I love my wee dog. He's an old wee dog now. I imagine this is his last year. And uh, Two or three nights ago, I was thinking to myself, this might be his last day. Because while you were sound asleep in your bed, I was standing at the back door of my house. Standing like that, waiting for him to come in after having to lift his leg. 
he needed to go out to the bathroom. And I'm standing there, so why did I ever get this dog? I don't need this. I'm too old for this. I think next week I'll take him to the vet, I'll get him put down. <laughs> I just felt alienated from him. This dog was just a nuisance. He's just become a pest to me. And the, the, the presence had something gone wrong in it, a sense of alienation. Of course, that was just a passing frustration. The next day I saw him, I almost apologised to him. Sorry, wee dog, for the way I felt last night. You're safe for another day. But if you go out tonight again, who knows what might happen tomorrow? You know, we can love someone, be in their presence, and we know in ourselves there's something wrong. I've sat many a time in the presence of my wife Bridget in the same room in the same uh, couch beside her and, and, and we're sitting and she's looking that direction, me looking this direction and there's a wee bit of alienation there. She said the wrong thing, I did the wrong thing until we apologise and sort it all out and, and then the presence is what it should be. Jonah, he fled from the presence of the Lord. God said, Jonah, I've got a wee job for you. You may not like it, but I want you to go beyond the borders of Israel to those Iraqis, the Ninevites. Uh, they're a sinful people. I'm going to judge them. I'm going to show them mercy. First of all, I want you to go and preach a message of mercy. Jonah says, get yourself another prophet. I don't care about their welfare. And he, and he, he fled from the presence of the Lord. It's just alienation. While he was in the boat, heading far, far into the ocean, was he getting further and further away from the presence of God? Of course not. God was with him in the boat. God was with him even in the fisher's belly. God is always with his people. It doesn't mean to say, though, the alienation cannot be there. And you can know yourself... You can come to the breaking of bread and take the bread and take the wine. And yet in your heart and your spirit you know there's something there that is wrong between you and God and you've got to get it sorted out. We will never get beyond the presence of God. His manifest presence is always going to be there. But in spite of that, we can still be alienated from the presence of God. Now, here we are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And we're looking at uh, the presence of God. And it's uh, two of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And they're walking down the Emmaus Road, and they're enjoyed, enjoined by the presence of the Lord Jesus. He joins them. He walks with them. They're in his presence. But the, the wee narrative, I want you to chapter 24. And go down to verse 13. And behold, two of them, that's two of the disciples, they went their same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And it says, and they talked together of all the things which had happened. So as they walk down the Emmaus Road, they're having a conversation, and the subject is the things that have happened. 
the bad things, the awful things, the tragic things that had happened. The death of the Lord Jesus. You see, to them that was bad. To them it was a tragedy. We never imagined it was going to happen. We thought something else was going to happen when Jesus went to Jerusalem. And what was it? Go down to verse 21. And it says, And we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Oh, they won't think about redemption in the atonement sense of the word. No, they were thinking about redemption in terms of its political setting. There's those big Roman soldiers walking down the street. And Roman authority still embedded in the heart of the, the nation of Israel. Subjugated under the occupying force of the Roman Empire. And they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he would come and he would deliver them. He would be the redeemer. A, a political redeemer. But instead... That Roman force take him and they humiliate him and they nail him to a cross and they kill him and he's lying in the tomb. That's the things they were talking about, this awful tragedy. But then as they're walking down the road, someone joins them, the Lord Jesus. In other words, they're walking in the manifest presence of God. The Lord Jesus was God. And the disciples are walking down the road and the Son of God joins them. They're not aware of it. They're blind to the reality. But the Son of God is there. They are in his presence. And look what it says in verse 17. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have, one with the other, that you walk and are sad? You see, the things that happened had made them sad. They're downcast. Their hopes and dreams have been destroyed. The glorious future they thought was going to raise uh, out of uh, uh, the part of the Lord Jesus uh, driving the Roman authority out of the land that dream was destroyed now, the hopes of Christ, and they're looking into a bleak future. And the Lord Jesus joins them in their sadness. And what does he do? Well, take a wee look there at verse 27. It says, I'm beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and, and he uh, made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. And then, look what it goes on to say in verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us, by the way, and while he opened unto us the scriptures. Oh, the Lord Jesus joins them. And he says, we need to have a wee Bible study about the things that have happened. 
and he gets his Bible out and begins with Moses and all the prophets and he shows them in their ignorance they misunderstood the events of the time that this wasn't a tragedy the Lord Jesus was deemed to come he was ordained to come into this world and die upon a cross it was all according to the scriptures no need for their sadness no need for their fear of the future and as Jesus explained from the scriptures, he says, and their hearts burned within them. The word burn, it means to ignite, to ignite a flame. It means to kindle. And as you travel this year with God not doing what lies out there, get your Bible out and study the scriptures and read the scriptures and you discover that God has the ability to, to bring hope where the hope is day. Bring understanding where there is ignorance. And you might discover as you look at the world around you, it's maybe not such a bad place or scary place as you imagine it to be because your omnipotent God is in control of it all. You see, if you didn't understand the omnipotence of God or the omnipresence of God or the omniscience of God, then you might be scared by everything that you see. But lies out there in the natural world, the underground volcano, the tsunamis, it might scare you to death. You might be scared by the political machinations, nation against nation, and the wars that break out. And, but as you walk with God and you read the scriptures, you might discover that you can walk in peace and calm, knowing that your God is in control of it all. You don't have to fear it. Your omnipotent God, he walks with you. As he walks down the immense road with his sad, scared disciples, he walks with you. He wants you to get into the scriptures. And as you study the scriptures, you might have a wee bit more understanding of the world around you and the life that you live. And the fears may ebb away. I want you to, just in closing, a wee verse that's found in the book of Kings. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. There's a, a lovely wee story about uh, the, the prophet of God. And, and the enemy is trying to arrest the prophet of God, take him as a hostage. And so the, the, the armies of the Syrians are raised by night and they surround the city. And so the prophet and his wee servant, they're surrounded. And in the morning, 2 Kings chapter 6, and uh, take a look at verse uh, 15, and it says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, and had gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both of horses and chariots, and the servant said unto the, his master, Alas, my master, how shall we do? He went to bed that night, and all was well. And he just assumed the next day would be much the same as the day before. A wee list of things to get done and he'll work his way through it. But the day dawns, he draws the curtains and he looks out and he's terrified. A spirit of fear has captivated his heart. And he turns to the master and he says, Master, have you seen what's out there? What lies before us? And we're surrounded by it. He's scared. You can look out upon a new year. 
can look out upon a political world. You can look out upon a world that's dominated by COVID and be scared by it all and no escape from it all. But what does the master say? Here's the difference in faith. Uh, the next verse goes on to say, And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now that's not a man that needs to go to back savers. Is the man blind or something? And the young fellow looks out and he says, I, I don't know what he can see that I can't see, but all I see is I'm surrounded by an army of the enemy that's trying to come and get us. But the master, he says, don't worry what lies out there because there's more on our side than on their side. And he prays for the young man. He says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. To the eye of faith. And of course, the young man gets the eye of faith. Verse 27, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and behold, he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. That's the manifest presence of God. That's it. The master says, young fella, you don't have to worry about the Syrians or their army, their chariots and their spears and all that kind of stuff and how they surround us. All you have to see is the eye of faith and you see the manifest presence of God. And God is on your side. So whatever lies out there, you can face it. Because God has given you a promise. As a child of God, I will never leave thee or forsake thee. You just need the eye to see it. Between all the politics that's out there, between the COVID and, and uh, all that lies in the universe, all that lies there that might scare you, between it and you, is the army of God, is God himself, his manifest presence. And God walks with you down your Emmaus road. When you sit in your house surrounded by all sorts of troubles, God wants you to know His presence is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you again sometime during the year and we'll take this idea of the presence of God a wee bit further and we'll see how the presence of God makes a difference. But for now, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your omnipotent power. Even when we see something happen by way of an earthquake, help us, our Father, to look at it through the eye of faith and see that is God's hand tweaking the universe that he made because it belongs to him. And he maintains it by his power. And Father, we're walking down another new year and we don't know what lies ahead. We don't know what's going to surround us, good or bad. Our Father, we pray that you'll never help us to lose the, the eye of faith, that it will always see that standing right alongside us is the manifest presence of our God. These things we ask in our Saviour's precious name. Amen. God bless you.